have a Bible, check out this teaching for yourself. I think you'll be surprised at how much God really does know about the past and the future and how that impacts us today. God bless. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, be with us this morning. Bless us. May we leave this place being brought closer to you is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open to them this morning. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, one of my favourite texts in all the scripture. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, For the word of God is living and active. And I want to start this Bible study, this teaching this morning, by challenging you with the fact that the Bible is different than any other holy book in any religion that was ever written. And the reason I believe it is different is because the high God of heaven is in it. And that's why it is living. That's why it is active. And when you read it, the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, comes down upon you. He enters your mind. He enters your heart. And the words leap out to you and they're alive and they mean something. And if you will let them, God will change you through the Bible. One of the most amazing things about the Bible is its ability to predict the future. In fact, you can go to all the major religions of the world and you can look at all their holy books and you will find, if you have an open mind, that there is no book like the Bible. Not only does it tell us about Jesus, who is the saviour of the world, in fact there's no way of getting off this world except through Jesus. Not only does it tell us about Jesus, but it tells the future. Yes, it does. It tells the future. And this morning I would like to share with you one example. Oh, it's an amazing example of how the Bible told the future. And if you have your Bibles here with us this morning, I'd invite you to open them to Isaiah chapter 45. This is a marvellous prophecy. Isaiah chapter 45. Now, just to put you into the context of this story, Isaiah was a prophet of God in Old Testament times. He lived somewhere around, and we're not absolutely sure, 700, around 700 B.C., He lived under a number of kings. He served under a a number of kings. Uh, Some of the kings were good. Many were wicked. The last king Isaiah had the dubious privilege of serving under was a king by the name of Manasseh. The Bible tells us Manasseh was the most wicked of all kings. In fact, Manasseh sacrificed his own children to heathen gods in the valley of Hinnom, just outside Jerusalem. You get a sense of how wicked he was. And eventually, the messages of Isaiah the prophet, God's true prophet, got to Manasseh so much that he took Isaiah out, he put him into a hollow log, and he cut him in two. Very serious end for a great man of God. If you read the book of Isaiah, in fact, it's one of my favourite books in all the Bible, You will be thrilled at what God had to say through this Old Testament prophet 2,700 years ago. You'll be thrilled at what he has to say to you today in 2006. But I would like to share with you a prophecy that Isaiah had that was a glimpse through a window into the future. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 45 verse 1. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. 
to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, says God, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armour, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. And verse 13 says, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city. Now listen to this. And set my exiles free. But not for a price or reward, says the Lord God Almighty. Now hold that thought. God says, I'm going to raise up a king. His name is Cyrus. He will set my exiles free. Now, let me give you the context. I think it's a really interesting story. Cyrus was a young king who came to the throne of the nation of Media. Now, Media was a smaller nation over there in Iran 2,500 odd years ago. Cyrus, when you study history, was perhaps one of the greatest kings in all of history. I've had the joy of studying ancient history. And of all the kings that I've looked at, I think Cyrus would have been one of the kings I would have been very happy to live under and to serve. He was a benevolent, kind, far-sighted, educated king. He was a good man and his people loved him. Next door to Cyrus's kingdom of Media was another one called Persia. Persia was ruled by Cyrus's uncle. His uncle's name was Astigas. Now it seems as we look at ancient history and it's fairly murky that Astigas was the opposite to Cyrus. Where Cyrus was good and kind and benevolent and his people and his army loved him, Astigas was a tyrant. He was a butcher. He was very cruel and he oppressed his own people mightily. But Astigas had built up one of the finest armies in the world. And Cyrus, who was the nephew of Astigas, the king of Media, was paying a tribute, a tax to Astigas, the Persian. Now, Astigas was the king of Persia. There was Persia here. And there was media here, right next to each other. And in the middle, right on the border, was a series of mountains. And and Cyrus was paying a tax to Astigas. Now, Cyrus was young. He might have been a good king, but he was ambitious. He finally got sick of paying this tax. And he sent a message to Astigas and he said, We will no longer, we the people of media and I their king, we will no longer pay this tax. Well, you can imagine how Astigas felt about that. Astigas the Persian. And he said, I will deal with this young nephew, upstart king of Media, and I will deal with him now. And so he called his general in. And he said, General, I want you to march my armies across the mountains, and I want you to put Cyrus and his army to the sword and subjugate, subjugate Media to Persia. Now, as I said, history, and especially ancient history, is a little bit murky at times. But, you know, we can get a glimpse, we can get a little feel of what was going on because it seems that Astigas had done his general a great wrong. We're not sure what happened, but the general's son had upset the king, Astigas, and just before the general marched across the mountains to deal with Cyrus... It seems that Astigas had his general's son, his eldest son, it seems perhaps his only son, put to death for some small misdemeanor. And so that general, he was a soldier, 
He marches the armies across the mountain to deal with Cyrus with a heavy heart. Cyrus, and we know this much about the story to be fairly accurate, Cyrus heard what had happened. And he sent a letter via a fast-riding messenger up into the mountain passes to meet the general with Astigas' army. And that letter was interesting because I believe that letter changed the course of history. When the general took the letter from the messenger who had come from Cyrus, he opened it up and he read it and we know that it started something like this. My father, I understand the heartache. You see, Cyrus is a good king. He says, I understand the pain that you have gone through. My heart reaches out to you. Come and join my army. I will make you the head of my soldiers and I will treat you as the father that you are. We're not sure exactly what happened, but that letter must have touched that soldier's heart because he took his army and himself. Well, it seems that all the veterans of the army came with him and they marched down the mountain pass into Media and they joined Cyrus and his army. So you can imagine that Cyrus now had a very experienced general at the head of his army, a formidable force. Astigas, of course, on hearing the news was furious, probably put the family of the general to death, raised another army, marched across the mountains. But Cyrus, he was a good king, but he was a smart king. He sent men up to infiltrate Astigas' army. And they began to speak about how benevolent and how kind and how gentle and, and how fair Cyrus was as a king. And by the time those two armies faced off in the plains of Media, there was a rebellion that was mounted in the ranks of Astigas. No battle was fought. Astigas was dragged before Cyrus. He was beheaded and Cyrus became the king of the most powerful nation in the world. In fact, two nations, Media and Persia. Now, we're talking 2,000, almost 2,500 years ago, around 540 B.C., Cyrus became a great and mighty king. Now, there was another empire called the Babylonian Empire. It's the empire that the prophet Daniel lived under. And Cyrus looked across at this empire and he, although he was a good king, he lusted for power. And so he took his army. They marched across the plains of Persia and they took out Babylon and her king and Cyrus set the Persian Empire up as the most powerful nation empire in the entire world. In fact, there had never been an empire before Persia, Medo-Persia, that had been as big, as powerful, as wealthy or as rich. Now, you've got a little bit of the context of the story. I want to take you back now to this prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah, who lived, hear me carefully, Isaiah, who lived a hundred and 50 years before Cyrus was born. It is a proven fact. It is a biblical fact. Isaiah lived 150 years before Cyrus. Now you can't tell me that there's not something amazing about this book. Here's a king who lives 
around 530 BC in, in that vicinity. And here's a prophet who lives somewhere around 700 BC and God talks to the prophet and he says, I'm going to raise a king called Cyrus and this king will set, look at verse 13 of Isaiah 45, I will raise up Cyrus and he will set my exiles free. Now I don't want to confuse you with too many facts this morning. But let me tell you that Babylon... Before Cyrus took Babylon out, and if you want to read the story of Cyrus and how he took the great city of Babylon out, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to Daniel, Daniel chapter 5. And there you will read the story for yourself. Now Babylon was the most powerful, before Cyrus took Babylon out, it was the most powerful nation in the world. Big, powerful armies. Big, wonderful, amazing, rich city. The Tigris River running right through the middle of it. Ancient Babylon, 70, 80, maybe 100 kilometres south of modern day Baghdad. The ruins are are still there. If if it wasn't for the wars there, you could still go and visit them. In fact, I've got some friends that have been to visit the ancient ruins of Babylon. Babylon was this mighty empire before Cyrus took her out. And the Babylonian armies had taken the nation of Israel captive. In fact, if you read the book of Daniel, you'll meet a young boy called Daniel. He was a prince in Israel. And as a young man, he was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. He was marched across the deserts to Babylon. There, And, and Nebuchadnezzar, like Cyrus, was, was a mighty king. And, and there, Nebuchadnezzar had trained Daniel, and Daniel had risen up through the ranks to become one of the main rulers in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. But the people of Israel, Daniel's people, were slaves. They had been enslaved by the Babylonians. And 150 years before Cyrus existed... 150 years, God had told Isaiah that he would raise up a king. His name would be called Cyrus. God said Cyrus would take Babylon out. He would become the king of the known world. And God had said to Isaiah, it is this man whose name will be called Cyrus. He is a Medo-Persian. This is all being told to Isaiah before Cyrus ever existed. Remember, 150 years before Cyrus existed. This is an amazing book. It was written by God through men, inspired men. And God can tell the past. God can tell the past from the future. And God knew, God ordained that Cyrus would come onto the earth. And Cyrus was put on the earth, became king of the then known world for no other reason than to set God's people free. And history tells us that when Cyrus read this prophecy, he was quite a taken aback. He was quite moved that the great God of heaven would know him before he was born and would have ordained him to do a particular work. So Cyrus knew, history tells us this, Cyrus knew before he took the Babylonians out that one of the things God had ordained for him to do was to free Israel. Now I want to show you something because this is not the end of the story and I find this very interesting. Interesting. 
Turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. Look at this. Daniel was written about 150 years after Isaiah wrote his book. Daniel is a prophet like Isaiah, only Daniel, as we've already learnt today, lived in Babylon. He started as a slave, became one of the head rulers of that mighty empire. Daniel is in Babylon. And look at the story that unfolds. Bearing in mind that God had risen Cyrus for no other reason than to set the Israelites free. Now look at this. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Now Daniel... Daniel has a vision, and it's about a great war. Now, this is not just the war between God and Satan, between good and evil. I want you to follow on with me, because verse 2 says, At that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. He didn't understand the vision. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Daniel didn't eat any choice food, he didn't eat any wine, he didn't have a bath. He was in a state of denial because he wanted God to come to him and share with him what this vision was about. Now let's follow on. On the 24th day of the first month, Daniel said, As I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Go to Revelation chapter 1. You're going to see the same description of this man. This man is in fact Jesus Christ. Here is Jesus Christ in heaven before he came to earth, before he came to earth to live, before he came to earth to die, before he came to earth to save mankind. Here is Jesus communicating with Daniel, his prophet, in vision. Now, let's follow on. Verse 7. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So, so Daniel was the only one who saw the vision as he was beside the river Tigris. The rest of the men who were with him, perhaps his friends, we don't know, they sensed that something powerful was going on and they fled. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, so here's Jesus speaking. And it says, and Daniel says, as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep and my face was to the ground. Interesting, as Jesus comes upon Daniel, as God comes upon Daniel, he falls flat down on his face, his face to the ground. Now follow this very carefully, verse 10. And, and this is worth a read if you've got a Bible. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now, this is not Jesus Christ speaking to Daniel now. It is an angel. How do I know that? Well, follow me. He said, this angel said, so so Daniel has a vision. He's overcome because he sees Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. If Jesus walked into the room right now, you'd be overcome too. And his power and his majesty and his glory and the awesomeness of the great God of the universe, you'd fall flat on your face too. You'd be knocked out just as Daniel was. He's all power, this God that we serve. But now he starts to come back to consciousness. Verse 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, 
Now, this is not Jesus speaking. This is an angel. You who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have been sent to you. Sent by who? Sent by God, sent by Jesus Christ himself to Daniel to explain the vision. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Daniel, do not be afraid. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding of this vision, this vision between good and evil, this vision, this war, he says, from the first day, the angel says, from the first day you set your mind to gain an understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard and I've come in response to them. If you pray to God, if you call out to him, if you long for him, he will hear you and he will come to you just as surely as he did to Daniel. And he sent an angel to Daniel and he said to Daniel, you are greatly esteemed. I love you, says God, and God loves you with an everlasting love. You, you get into prophecy, that's one of the messages that comes through all the time. Now look at this. Oh, I find this interesting. This is the angel speaking. Listen to what he says. And this will tie what I've been trying to say to you this morning, verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Who's the prince of the Persian kingdom? It's Cyrus. Cyrus who had been raised up by God for no other reason than to set the Israelite slaves free. Look at it. Here's Cyrus resisting the angel. What was he resisting? He had been raised up to set God's people free. They were slaves. Now slaves are free labour. They're a good thing. He didn't want to let them go. And so this angel was sent to persuade Cyrus to do what God had anointed him to do. And sometimes God has got to send an angel to persuade us to do the task that he's asked us to do too. Verse 13, but the prince of the Persian kingdom, this Cyrus, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, who's that? It's Jesus Christ himself. Then Michael, Jesus Christ, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Look, the curtain's been drawn aside. We're seeing the battle between good and evil, between righteous, powerful angels and the devil himself. And this angel says, I go. He says, Daniel, I would have come earlier. But he said, I was held up persuading the prince of Persia. I was held up persuading Cyrus to let God's people, the Israelites, go, to send them home back to Israel. He said it was so bad that eventually Michael, Jesus himself, had to come and help me to persuade Cyrus to let God's people go. He says, now I've come to explain to you this vision. Verse 15, while he was saying this to me, I bowed my face toward the ground. And was speechless. Verse 16, then Jesus comes back on the scene. And one who looked like a man touched my lips. And I opened my mouth and began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I'm overcome with anguish. Because of the vision, my Lord, and I'm helpless. And so Jesus and the angel, and you can read it in Daniel chapter 11 and 12, begin to explain to Daniel this vision between good and evil. This war that even Cyrus, the prince of Persia, had been caught up in. I find an amazing story for a number of reasons. As I conclude, I'll share these with you quickly. Number one, God knows the beginning from the end. He knew he would raise up Cyrus. He, would, he knew that Cyrus would let 
He would be the king to let Israel go back to their homeland after being in captivity for over 70 years. Satan knew the prophecy too. He had seen Isaiah write it down. He had seen Isaiah come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He had seen God tell Isaiah the words to write and he did everything he could to get in the way of God's plans. God has a plan for you. God has something for you to do too. Satan knows it and he will try to interfere with that plan just like he tried to interfere with Cyrus. But you know, Jesus loves you so much. He will send an angel. And if an angel can't persuade you, he will come himself. And you know, history tells us that when Jesus came to Cyrus and Jesus began to work on Cyrus's heart, that his heart melted, that he listened to the Lord God of heaven and that he let Israel go. Jesus, God, always wins. Always wins. If men and women will listen to his leading and his voice. May God bless you. Jesus, thank you for this Bible study, for this teaching. Pray now that we'll take it to heart and make a difference in our lives. Thank you for the Bible and the prophecies it gives us that give us a great confidence in this marvellous book that you helped man to write, that you inspired. Thank you, Jesus, we pray for your love and everything else you do for us in your name. Amen. It's a good study, this one. Starts in the book of Isaiah, around 700 BC. Ends in the book of Daniel, around 530 BC. It's a story of a king who was raised for a particular purpose. He was raised to set God's people free. He resisted very strongly God's call. But how God, how Jesus came down and changed his mind is evidence that Jesus can change the hardest heart. I hope you enjoyed it. God bless. Yeah,